What is up, my brothers and sisters, my agents of respect? It's your boy, Trey Johnson, back with another episode of the No Disrespect But Podcast. And man, we got a late one today, a midweek episode, which uh, usually doesn't happen. But man, I could not let us go into next weekend without talking about what transpired this past weekend. And no, I'm not talking about the messy shit, the racism, the sexism, just all of the bigotry, all of the things that we can, but nah, man, I'm here to talk about the good things, the great things. And and let me just start by saying, man, basketball is a beautiful game. I grew up playing with it, playing it, love watching it, men's, women's, whatever. It's an art form. And it's a pleasure watching the best of the best whether that be college, professional, whatever it may be. It's a blessing watching the best of the best do what they do and put art on display for our viewing pleasure. And oh by oh, oh man, it was it was on display this past weekend and, and not really just this past weekend, because while I say basketball is a beautiful game, man, the way the women's college tournament played out this year from beginning to end it was just amazing basketball to watch of course you have some some of your bad games or certain bad possessions but overall it was just fun to watch you had upsets which were things that we hadn't really seen much a lot usually you saw the top teams just throttling uh some of the lower seeds you didn't really see that you saw competitive games whether win or lose some of those lower seeds were keeping up with top seeds and we had a pretty balanced tournament both in the women's game and the men's game um but i just want to kind of give the women their props because to be quite honest they don't really get the love uh that the men's college basketball tournament gets that the men's college basketball game gets and i think they deserve it um right now just kind of thinking about you know that instance during i believe like the covid um when the pandemic got hit and they had the tournaments and what the women had to go through just kind of having like a, some open small gym with a few weights. And that's what they were given to exercise where the guys had the state of the art gymnasium and workout room and, and being able to train while they were at the tournament. And, and so just kind of thinking of instances like that, where the women's game wasn't getting love and you have some of these pundits out here saying, well, they got to look this way or they need to play this way or they need to lower the rim and whatever it may be. But when I tell you that these women in this NCAA tournament for Division One, I, I can't really speak to the other two divisions, but I'm pretty sure they did fantastic there as well. It was just amazing to watch. And so we get to the national championship game and you have one of the better teams, um, the LSU Tigers. Now, I don't know why they were a two seed. I thought that the season they had, they should have been a one seed. But I know some people talked about them having a, a cupcake schedule, out of conference schedule. But I'm like, if you're playing in the SEC, you have to go against uh, the Tennessees and the South Carolinas of the world. Well, it's okay to have a cupcake schedule, so to speak. But uh, well-coached team uh, definitely has some star power on their roster. Um, and I'll get to, to players in a second and, and what that means. But um, you had a really good LSU team. 
um, that, you know, had a brilliant tournament, you know, beat Utah. Um, I say I said they were one seed, they were a three seed, but uh, or I said they were a two seed, they were a three seed, but they beat Utah. Utah's player missed free throws. Um, they had a tough matchup against Virginia Tech where they were down nine in the Elite Eight in the fourth quarter, stormed back and won that game. So, um, you know, it was good to see them there, just kind of being a native uh, Louisianian. Um, ironically, everybody at this point knows. I don't have too much of an affinity for LSU athletic teams, but um, when it comes to women's basketball, you know, you can thank Simone Augustus uh, for my fandom. Just grew up watching her. She really made that program, in my opinion, um, the standard for, for a while. And so just kind of hearing some of the players like Angel Reese, uh, Flaw J. Johnson, um, just kind of talk about bringing the standard of LSU basketball back. And, and if anybody knows anything about LSU women's basketball, that standard began with uh, Simone Augustus and what she was able to do um, with that program. But they had never really had any success in the Final Four. Um, you know, 0-4, oh, oh uh, the first four trips. And so for them to be able to win and, and ink their trip, so to speak, to the uh, – National championship was a beautiful thing uh, to see. Um, and then we got Iowa, who has, you know, I think we can agree that they had the best basketball player in college basketball, men's or women's this year, in Caitlin Clark. Uh, call her the female Steph Curry, but I just call her Caitlin Clark because she has her own game. She plays basketball in an exciting fashion. Um, but, but her and Iowa Hawkeyes, which you know, a lot of talk was about Caitlin Clark, and rightfully so. Um, she did win the the Naismith Award, I believe, for the most outstanding um, women's college basketball player. But um, I had a chance to really watch them in their first round matchup because my alma mater, shout out to the Lady Lions of Southeastern Louisiana University, making for the turn, making it to the tournament for the first time in school history. So I had a chance to watch that game and just really see uh, how not only how dominant Caitlin Clark was, but how the Hawkeyes, how their basketball team worked as a unit. I mean, you're not going to find much better movement off the ball. You're not going to find much rolling and, and efficient post-ups. You know, sometimes um, you can get the ball down the bigs. They don't always know what to do with it. Or they want to dribble too much or, you know, they dribble once, pick their ball up, and now they're a deer caught in the headlights. But that's not really the case, especially with, uh, I think it's Monica Susano. Uh, who's the big for um, Iowa. And when you have a collection of role players, so to speak, like that, um, that really helps a star player like Haven Clark magnifies her game, but um, also, you know, makes the defense honest and that they can focus on her, but she knows how to get the ball to her teammates. So that was the matchup, really one of the most dominant teams and a dominant player, you know, like Angel Reese, double-double queen, Bayou Barbie is what they call it now. Um, but monster on the glass, um, monster defensively protecting the rim, uh, but also can give you a bucket, you know, average, I believe, 22 points on a year. So, um Obviously, she's no slouch on that offensive end either. So you, you got these dominant forces coming together. And not to mention the head coach of the LSU Tigers, um, Coach Kim Mulkey, 
also a native Louisianian from um, played in Hammond and played at LA Tech, won a championship there. So you so you know coming in, Iowa might have the best player, but uh, just based on resume alone and accomplishments, uh, LSU had the best coach, and it was exciting. Like if you have never watched a basketball game, let alone a women's basketball game, this was a perfect introduction to how amazing it is and and how productive it can be and how exciting it could be. Um, you know, it was it was fast fast paced action from both teams. Uh, running up and down the floor, get the ball inside, shooting a lot of threes, which was which is a big deal in the modern game. You know, had a few hiccups with some officiating, and and I'll save that type of topic for another time because I could dedicate a whole episode to that. But you know, star players, star players. But what really stood out was that you know. If you actually watch the game, LSU's star players got in foul trouble. Iowa star players got in foul trouble. And so it was a battle of the benches, the role players, as Kill O'Neill would say, the others. And the others for LSU stepped up big time. Uh, Poa, I hope I pronounced that correctly, uh, point guard came in, uh, played Palacious defense on Caitlin Clark actually forced two offensive fouls in the process was gave Caitlin Clark a third foul, which I would say changed the game to a degree. And then um, Jasmine Carson coming up five for five and three, 21 points in the first half. Like my guy including the buzzer beater right before the end of the first half to give LSU a 17 point cushion kind of going into halftime. Those things don't really get talked about, but that's the difference between Winning a championship and losing is when your star players may not be playing their best or they may not be in the rhythm or they may be in foul trouble. Who's going to step up? And so uh, you saw that LSU in that first half, you know, they trusted. Coach Mulkey trusted her players uh, to make the right decisions, and they were able to do that. And in the second half, I mean, I got a little scared. I thought LSU was about to blow that lead because – Kaylin Clark and, and the Iowa Hawkeyes, I mean, they would give, they would give the buckets three point in the paint. Like anything they wanted, they were getting. Um, they, they cut what was a 20-something point lead to eight. And it was looking like, oh God, it's you don't want to let somebody this close. I mean, I know she gets compared to Steph Curry. And what it looked like was the Golden State Warriors in the third quarter. If you're familiar with their game, they're probably one of the most, if not the most dominant third quarter team coming out of halftime because they just get on you defensively, but they can also hit threes. And Iowa is by far a three-point shooting team. And when you have the three ball, you're never out of the game. So they were able to cut that deficit. But again, outstanding coaching, but outstanding leaders on the court. Um, um, Alexis Morris, I believe, I, uh, I hope I said that right. She was, you know, point guard, was able to kind of close things out Whenever Iowa was kind of making a run, she was just that calming presence. Shout out to Andy Dalton. Um, to where even when Iowa was kind of swinging haymakers, LSU just did not falter. It did not fall. It did not hit the mat. And, and a lot of that was, was due to her and her leadership. And obviously, um, when it was time to put things away, her 
and Angel Reese just went to work. And so it was it was a beautiful sight to see. And I'm glad, you know, LSU brought brought that home, their first championship um, in school history for women's basketball, which uh, I know they had that parade today. So congratulations to them again. I hope they enjoy themselves. But kind of back to that overall point, I mean, according to numbers, um, I think the viewership was 9.9 million. And at one point, it was 12.6 million viewers for that national championship game. You had a national championship game where LSU broke the record for points scored in a championship game. Um, I believe the initial record was 97. LSU scored 102. Um, and Iowa had 85. So that's 187 total points in 40 minutes. And so that's not normal. I do want people to understand that that's not normal. That doesn't typically happen at the college level, whether men's or women's, it's kind of a slowed down game for the most part. You know, you're running your offense. I mean, college is a coach's game, but more, more so than a player's game, right? I think, I think everybody can agree with that. And so you usually kind of see a little bit more slow pace. You might see some, 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 some fast breaks and things like that on turnovers, but not so much taking a ball out of bounds and just going, getting to your offense early trying to play the possession game. The more possessions you have, the more shots you can you can take, and that increases your chance to winning. Just kind of playing the percentages. You don't normally see that much at any uh, uh, or at that collegiate level, men's or women's. But these two teams, I mean, it was just electric from beginning to end. Even when LSU was up big, there was just still a level of movement. They didn't slow down. They didn't try to draw out the clock. They just played their game. Um, and, and so did Iowa kind of trying to make that comeback. And I think it was, you know, and everybody said this. I mean, I'm, I'm not I'm not new to this and, and I'm not, you know, the, the person to bring this to life. But I think everybody discussed how important this was uh, for the women's game. Uh, elite players, elite teams, elite coaches playing the game the right way. You might not think trash talk is the right way, but I do um, within reason. And I think both teams did all of that within reason uh, for the most part. And it was, again, something that a basketball lover like myself just thoroughly enjoyed, right? But I think someone who's a novice to this, if you wanted to show them what the game of basketball was in its purest form, you're showing them this game. Um, and I think it's it's it was to the level where someone would fall in love with it. I fell in love with it all over again, um, just being able to watch them play. And so it made me kind of think about, man, what, what goes into that? With this, I don't want to say newfound popularity, but it almost seems as if with more eyes now on the game, there's a newfound popularity for the women's game, and that's exciting. And I want, and I also kind of wanted to think about what are some things that that led to that, or, or that leads to that. And obviously, good product is is one thing. You you have good players; they play the game the right way, and they make it look fun. I think, you know, if we see more fast paced the way we saw the national championship, and I think in games throughout the tournament as well, even though not every game was as high scoring there was still a level of excitement seeing these um, these women battle for a chance to be crowned champion. And you, you feed into that as a fan. You feed into that just as someone who 
wants to see the underdog win, somebody that, that understands competition to a degree, you feed off of that. And then I think adding a level of emotion to the game, um, not somebody you know that, that hits a layup and just walks down the court or runs down the court and gets back on defense. Yeah, that's good. That's nice. But that's not what captivates an audience, seeing raw emotion, and not just from players, but from coaches and from the fans that are in the building. It's just a beautiful sight to watch. And I think people gravitate towards that. I think people gravitated towards that this year, um, just showcasing how successful the tournament was for the women. And I will say that um, I think Another point, obviously, product is always going to be a big, big factor. What is transpiring on the court that makes me want to tune in for two and a half, three hours, right? But I also think name, image, and likeness has helped the women's game to a degree. And the reason why I say that is when I was coming up watching basketball, like I was really into it. So I knew certain players on certain teams, like the Candace Parker, the Skylar Dickens, Jemaya Boys, those, 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 those types of players. But it was still largely a team game. You knew the university. You knew Pat Summit in the University of Tennessee. You knew Gino Oriyama um, and UConn. Like you knew Pokey Chapman and the LSU Tigers. Like you, you knew teams and you knew coaches and I think now with the name image and likeness movement but also the rise of social media and players being able to take their marketing into their own hands and let us know not not necessarily exactly what they do because we usually see that on game day we know what they do on the court but who they are as individuals as people what's the day in the life of insert athlete and I think and I can't prove it, certainly. So I'm just going to say, I think, I think having that insight of getting to know the players, right? You you get a connection now. That's a that's a person. Like you might not necessarily be on the team. You you can't be a LSU Tiger. You can't be a Iowa Hawkeye. But you could be a Angel Reese. You can be a Kaitlyn Clark, and not necessarily because of what they're doing on the court, but because they're human beings and they have a life outside of it. You can be a Paige Beckers, you know, those those types of players, and us now having insights of what it's like to be them and who they are. I think now you you want to gravitate that because you add who they are off the court and their dominance on the court, and that's just a happy marriage that makes consumers. Uh, want to tune in, want these individuals to be successful. And so now, you know, you see it in, in, in sports like like the NBA, for example, where it used to be very team-oriented. It was Lakers, Celtics, Rockets, Spurs, you know what I mean? Now it's LeBron, KD, Steph. It's, it's more player-centric, and that's what's bringing folks into the game. Of course, you still have your traditionalists like myself who – still views himself as a very team-centric fan, but you're bringing in viewers that can identify with that individual or those individuals and want to see them succeed. And so by default, by them embracing in the chase uh, for success and championship gold, you're bringing new audiences to the game. But instead of 
these teams and these and these players being reliant on the NCAA having to do that, uh, which we know there can be uh, Title IX or not. We know there can be some uh, discrepancies in the attention that female athletes get compared to their male counterparts. And so now having that power as a as an athlete, as a student athlete, to now put that in your hands to a degree and you're being successful on the court, um, you're going to have people um, invest in that game. And so I really enjoyed that. I, I really just wanted to kind of, kind of point that out. Um, you know, kind of segue a little bit before I go back to the women's game. You know, the men's, the men's tournament had its, um, its normal March Madness, right? Um, you had some up, yeah, a lot of upsets, upsets to the point that we had a four seed and a five seed and that's a championship game. Um, I can't recall if that had happened before, but it's not common. Um, I think it was the first time that no number one seed had made it to the elite eight or something like that. So you had your parody that you look for in March Madness as far as the men's game is concerned. Um, probably not as exciting as the women's game. And I think that more so was because of you knew more of the teams than individual players on said team. So it was kind of hard to buy in. And then um, while I think UConn is a, is a blue blood, uh, San Diego State, not so much, but because both teams were so dominant, even as quote unquote underdogs, it didn't really seem like you had any Cinderella's and, and UConn pretty much beating the brakes off of everybody they played during the tournament. It just seemed like they were destined to win. I would say once they got to the Sweet 16, I just kind of assumed that this was going to be one of those uh, traditional UConn championship runs. Um, and, and that's what it ended up being. So, and I want to say, I think they've had more championships than any of the traditional blue bloods like Duke, um, Kansas, Kentucky. I think they've had, I think uh, Connecticut has had more championships in the past 20 years or so than they have. So clearly they had a prestige about them. So it really wasn't, and I don't want to, I guess, you know, downplay the men's tournament because it was quite fascinating, but it was the norm, I guess you can say. And I think in comparison, that's why, at least for me, I think I watched almost every women's tournament game compared to every men's tournament game, just because there was just a level of excitement where you felt like, if I don't watch this game, I'm going to miss something exciting and I'm going to miss an exciting finish. And so um, shout out to them for, for giving the fans just a great feeling. And I know I'm speaking for myself, but I mean, the numbers don't lie based on what they did. And look, I get it. March was Women's History Month, uh, but you know any women I know, they make history every month. So not only did they make history during the month of March, they even had to give us some history um, in, the, in the early part of April, just let us know that they were in the world. So uh, really, really enjoyed just being a fan and, and falling in love with the game. And so from here, I think, is a, is a larger discussion of, of how do we keep that going? And how do we translate that into the professional game? Now, I'm not going to go into extreme detail with that because I think, that, again, that's a, that's a topic that can be discussed in great detail another time. But just kind of focusing on college, you know, there's already been discussion that 
hey, the women's March Madness contract is up and it's looking like they may have a separate TV deal than the men's. And, and so now I'm trying to figure out what that looks like and making sure that the, these women don't get shortchanged and making sure that we don't have this radio silence for months and months and months, but we really start to get excited about the season. I think if you can get excited about that season and the players that are coming back, and we can get invested in that. And obviously the, the, the ladies are already doing their thing again, taking their marketing in their own hands. So, you know, if you don't know any of the star athletes in women's college basketball, that's a you problem. That's just because you're not paying attention. So, so what's going to be going on kind of in the months leading up to build that brand or to continue to build that brand. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say go stray away from team centric, but, we can have a nice balance of team and players. And so really shine the light on who our returning players are as far as upperclassmen, who are our incoming freshmen. So, you know, the story begins then. So, so who's it going to be? Who's the high prize freshman coming into the women's game that we can follow? And we let those be the stories. What are the rivalries? When's the last time we had a rivalry? Let's have some player rivalries. I think everybody's already trying to make Andrew Reese and Caitlin Clark the next big rivalry. I hear heard people say it could be Magic and Bird. I wouldn't go that far, but I do think it can be to that level where people want something to root for. We want sides, and sometimes that can be good or bad. As we've seen the outcome of this weekend, um, the negative outcome of this weekend, everybody wants to be on the side, but you can use that as a product. Um, I think that's uh, supply and demand. So there's a demand for controversy. There's a demand for confrontation and rivalries. And so how can we supply that to them? Also without, I guess, ruining the integrity of the game, but also these players. I think they, they're, they're still student athletes. They're still young people growing. And so we don't want to, in a way, try to pit people against each other. I think that's a that's a bad thing. But, I mean, those types of things sell as well. So what's that kind of mix where we're going away from team and more so player versus player? We got LeBron versus Steph, you know, versus KD versus Giannis. We can go on and on. But, but I think women's basketball is in a great place, probably greater than it's ever been. Um, and so as a fan, that's exciting um, to watch. And I hope it continues. Uh, I always get joked that I'm the only one that watches women's basketball. I highly doubt that. I think there's more of you. I think there's more of you. But um, but if I am the only one, hell, I'll take honor in that badge just because, you know, I understand how beautiful of a game it is. Um, and that whoever decides to play it, they should be they should get all the love and adoration because they're the best of the best. And they're going to be going to the next level. And I hope we can follow them to the next level and give them that support that they're looking for. Now, you know, I will say last weekend was probably one of the best national championship games I can remember. And, and look, I know what the score was. And was, if you look at the box score, you're like, it was a, it was a blowout. Trey, how you mean it was a beautiful, most beautiful basketball you've ever seen. But it was just the, the run of emotion, momentum from beginning to end, uh, composure where, you know, players could have acted out. 
coaches could have acted out. It's very emotional game uh, to begin with, but adding championship stakes on top of that uh, multiplies it by a thousand at minimum. So there were a lot of things that could have gone sideways, but for each of those teams and, and players and coaches and everybody involved to keep their resolve and put their best foot forward and put whatever they had in the tank, put their best out for our viewing pleasure. Um, again, they're just playing a game, but we get we have the joy of watching them and supporting them. So um, from there, I would just say, look, man, stay invested. Let's not have this be, um, you know, an aberration where or a one-off where, okay, we had this one great tournament and that's it. And we just talk about it or what it used to be. Let's talk, let's talk about the women's game and what it is um, and what it will be as it continues to uh, progress into the future. Let's keep it up. Let's watch. Let's get to know each of the athletes. I think even I can do a better job of getting to know the individual athletes and their stories because I think it's compelling. Um, and I just think it adds more to the story that each team, each university is trying to write for themselves um, throughout, you know, throughout the season and ultimately want to be crowned the champion. Um, so before I let you go, definitely got to give another shout out to uh, the Lady Tigers of LSU, women's basketball team. Hell of a season, hell of a tournament, hell of a finish. Because um, we always know it's not about how you start, it's how you finish. And no one can finish higher than the champ. And so, ladies, that's what y'all were able to do, bring a championship back to the state of Louisiana, to the city of Baton Rouge. Hope everybody had a good time. Hope everybody stayed out there. They're safe. Now, look, I was very respectful, but I'm going to do my stick anyway. But I'm not very respectful. But as I always say, if I offended anyone, sorry, Iowa fans, it's okay. It's a good day. Uh, it's an opportunity for me to learn, and it's an opportunity for you to teach me. All I ask, all I ask is that you keep it respectful. Peace.